This is Getting to Know Your Bible, a program dedicated to the proclaiming of the good news of Jesus Christ. Here's Billy Lambert. One of the great prophets of the Old Testament is the prophet Isaiah. I enjoy studying out of Isaiah, studying about the prophecies of Isaiah. And one of the things that we learn from him is about Jesus as the suffering servant. Today we want to look at a prophecy that he has in the book of Isaiah about Christ. And the theme of our study is, By His Stripes We Are Healed. I hope that you'll stay tuned as we discuss that today. Now we want to welcome you to getting to know your Bible, especially those of you who may be watching today for the very first time. Thank you for tuning in. And we want to pause for just a moment so that you can learn about a free Bible correspondence course that we offer, and you can learn how to receive this Bible course. To help you in your study of the Bible, we want to send you this Bible correspondence course. This course is non-denominational. It's based on the Bible. It's conducted by mail, and it's free. To receive this course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, P.O. Box 314, Summerdale, Alabama, 36580, or call toll-free 1-877-711-5214. I want to read now from Isaiah chapter 53, beginning in verse 1. Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Oh, we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The prophet Isaiah, with a pen of inspiration, painted a graphic picture of the suffering servant, Jesus. I want you to notice some of the things that he said about Jesus. No beauty that we should desire him. Despised, rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. We hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised. We did not esteem him. 
He was wounded. He was bruised. By his stripes we are healed. He has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Those are, that's language to describe the suffering of Jesus Christ when he went to the cross of Calvary. And all of that was to satisfy the wrath of a holy God. If you look later in this chapter, in verses 10 and 11, he said, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. And it's put him to grief. And when he may make his soul an offering for sin. You see, Jesus was an offering for sin. And, and then verse 11 says, You shall see the labor of his soul and shall be satisfied. Someone says, Well, how could God be pleased that his son be bruised and, and put to grief on the cross? How, how could it... Uh, be, he see, be satisfied when he, when he saw the pain and the suffering Jesus went through. It was to appease the wrath of a holy God. You see, Romans 5 and 9 reads much more than being justified by His blood. Justified by His blood, we are saved from wrath through Him. It took a perfect sacrifice to atone for the sins of the world and to satisfy the justice of God. Jesus, our, our Passover, is sacrificed for us, Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 5 and verse 7. It was John who said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And that, that offering, that lamb, that Passover lamb that was offered for the sins of the world was none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. And it was perfect. He was a perfect sacrifice. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things such as silver and gold, received from the vain conversation of the tradition of your fathers, but by the precious blood of Jesus Christ as a lamb without spot, without blemish. There was no spot or blemish in that sacrifice. Jesus was a perfect sacrifice. That's what it took to atone for the sins of the world. And, but what does His suffering really mean to you? Well, when we read those things, rejected, acquainted with grief, despised, wounded, bruised, by stripes we're healed, laid on Him the iniquity of us all. Well, what does that really mean to you? What does the cross of Christ mean to the average person today? I know what it meant to the Apostle Paul. He, he said in Galatians 6:14, God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 2, he said, I am determined to know nothing among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I know what it meant to him. I know what the, the cross meant to the apostle Peter. In 1 Peter 2, 24, he said, who, who, who himself bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that you being dead unto sin should live unto righteousness by whose stripes you're healed. When Jesus went to that cross of Calvary, Jesus went to the, for, there for the sins of the whole world. Verse 5 of Isaiah 53, which is quoted in 1 Peter 2, 24, reads, By His stripes we are healed. With the stripes that Jesus received, we are healed. Does that mean, as some allege, that physical healing today comes as a result of Jesus suffering on the cross. I've heard men teach that. But is that in fact what Isaiah really had in mind? 
it's, it's the case that Jesus did heal people while he was on earth. And, and, and his power to heal was acknowledged by the Apostle Peter on the day of Pentecost. In Acts 2 and 22, he said, You men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did by him in the midst of you, as you yourselves also know. And so Jesus Christ did perform miracles, and that's what Peter's talking about. And the thing that's so interesting, he said, as you yourselves also know, the people to whom he's speaking were the people who killed Jesus, and the people to whom he has speaking had seen and witnessed the miracles that Jesus Christ performed. Jesus performed miracles. Jesus caused the dead to rise. Jesus calls the lame to walk. He calls the deaf to hear. He calls the, those that could not speak to be able to talk. Jesus Christ could perform miracles. You remember the time Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. He, he raised the son of the widow of Nain. And, and, and Jesus was raised from the dead himself. His resurrection was a great miracle. And his re why did Jesus perform miracles? There was a purpose for the miracles that Jesus performed. And he performed them that men might believe. In John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, that the Bible says many other signs clued to Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written. Why are they written? That you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and believing you might have life through His name. You see, Jesus did perform miracles. He raised the dead. He, he caused the lame to walk, the deaf to hear. He caused those who were mute to be able to speak. Je Jesus Christ could perform those miracles. And it's not a question, is Jesus able to perform miracles? And miracles did happen throughout all of the Bible. For example, the sun stood still. You remember that story in the, Old, in the Old Testament? The day the sun stood still, there was the parting of the waters of the Red Sea when the children of Israel were leaving the land of Egypt and they crossed that Red Sea on dry land. That was a miracle. That was a miracle. And then there was the raising of the Shunammite sun in the Old Testament. And then there was the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which is the crowning miracle of them all. Jesus was crucified. He was taken down from that cross. He was placed in the tomb of a rich man uh, uh, from Arimathea. But three days later, that tomb was empty. Romans 1 and 4 says, Declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Oh, indeed, miracles happened in the Bible. And, and they were full, and I believe every one of them. Somebody said, Brother Lambert, I just don't think you believe in miracles. Yes, I do. I believe every miracle that ever happened that's recorded in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. I believe every one of them. But now, there's a huge distinction that, that needs to be made by healing that occurs in the realm of God's providence where healing may take 
uh, time. It may take a few days. It may take a few weeks. It may take months. It might even take years for the, the for person that's sick to get well. There's a difference in healing in, in the realm of God's divine providence and miraculous divine healing that occurred in the supernatural realm in the first century. You see, all healing is divine, but is it possible for men to have the power today to perform miracles as did our Lord? Can they cause the lame to walk, the deaf to hear, the blind to see? Can they raise people from the dead? Can they really raise people? Can they go to a tomb like Jesus did in the case of Lazarus, where a man had been in the tomb so long that the body was beginning to decay? They said, he stinketh. And Jesus went to that tomb. And Jesus called out and he said, Lazarus, come forth. Come forth. And the pulse began to vibrate within the veins of that man. And he came out and Jesus said, Loose him. Lazarus was raised from the dead by Jesus' mighty power. And I do not know and I do not believe that there's a man or woman living today that can duplicate what Jesus did at the tomb of Lazarus. And someone has said the reason he said Lazarus come forth because had he not, if he had just had said come forth, he would have raised everybody in the cemetery. And there's a day he's going to say come forth and everybody will be raised. The, the age of miracles, the age of this divine healing through the performing of a miracle ceased with the a complete revelation of God's Word. I know there are those who might scoff at that, but let me just read a few verses to you. Let me read to you from 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter. We know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come, that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child. I thought as a child, I understood as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. You see, there was a time that the Word of God was being revealed in bits and pieces. They did not have the Bible in its completed form as we have it today. But rather, they uh, were in the process of the Bible being revealed. And Paul said, when that which is perfect is come, when we have full knowledge, he says, when we all, we, we, there's going to be a time that tongues will cease. There's going to be a time that knowledge will vanish away. That is, supernatural knowledge will vanish away. Well, when is that going to happen? It's when that which is perfect is come. Somebody says, but Brother Lambert, don't you know that that which is perfect refers to the second coming of Christ? No, I didn't know that. And let me tell you why I didn't know that, because the context will not allow that. The context is not about the second coming of Christ. The context from 1 Corinthians 12 to 1 Corinthians 14, chapters 12, 13, and 14 is on the subject of spiritual gifts. 
1 Corinthians chapter 12 enumerates those gifts. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 uh, gives the duration of those gifts. And 1 Corinthians chapter 14 regulates the use of those gifts in the first century church. And in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul is discussing the duration of those gifts. He said that, that there's going to be a time that tongues will cease, knowledge will vanish away, because we know in part and we prophesy in part. You see, in the first century, those miraculous gifts were given to confirm the teaching of the Word of God by those inspired men. And that's found in Mark chapter 16 and verse 20 and Hebrews chapter 2 and verses 1 through 4. And that which is perfect is the complete, perfect revelation of the Word of God. Jesus is not referred to in that passage. It says, when that which is perfect is come. Jesus is not a that. Jesus is a who. It had been Jesus, it would have said, and when he who is perfect is come. Now, there are other ways to, to delve into that a little deeper to make the same uh, observation and, and, and say the same thing. But contextually, it's talking about complete revelation versus partial revelation. And when complete revelation has come, then we will no longer need those miraculous gifts to cause men to believe the teaching of the Word of God. We have that perfect law. James 1.25 refers to it as a perfect law of liberty. Jesus said, Howbeit, when He, the Spirit of truth, is come, He shall guide you into all truth. And we have all truth revealed in the Bible today. There's no purpose in having miracles to cause people to believe in Jesus and to believe what, the, what we're teaching today because we have the full, final, complete revelation of the Word of God. So I know that in Isaiah chapter 53 that... Uh, the word healed is not talking about physical healing. The context, first of all, would not allow it. Notice some of the language there. Wounded. Why was Jesus wounded? Which is equivalent to Jesus being receiving stripes. He was wounded not for my physical healing, but for my, our transgressions, for our sins. And Peter did not have physical healing in mind in 1 Peter 2.24. When, when he quotes this passage, he says, Who himself bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that you being dead unto sin should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes you are healed. Jesus used the word healed in Matthew 13, 15. That there Jesus said, This people's heart is waxed gross, their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed lest at any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart, should be converted and I should heal them. Somebody says, there it is. It just says that Jesus is going to heal you. He's going to heal you physically. Is that true? Is that the case? The parallel passage to Matthew 13 and verse 15 is found in Mark chapter 4 and verse 12. And there Jesus says their sins be forgiven. To be, there is a healing 
in Matthew 13, 15, and there's a forgiveness in Mark 4 and verse number 12, and they're all on the same level. That is, they're equivalent. They are parallel passages. One uses the word heal. The other uses forgiveness of sin. Jesus Christ is the only one who can forgive us of our sin. Uh, there is spiritual healing because Jesus died. By His stripes we are healed. Listen to Ephesians 1 verse 7. In whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. So there is spiritual healing. You see, the death of Jesus was vicarious. That simply means that He was wounded for our transgressions. And if our sins are forgiven, it's going to be because He was wounded and by His stripes that we are forgiven, by His death on the cross that we can be healed spiritually. I don't think that anybody would deny, at least they hope they would not, that, that our world needs spiritual healing today. Oh, it does. It's always needed it. And if the world should stand another thousand years, it will still need spiritual healing. In 2 Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14, the Bible says, If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, I'll hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal the land. I'll heal the land. And, and, and some have needed physical healing in the, in the Bible. There was Naaman who needed to be healed of his leprosy. And there was a blind man in John chapter 9 needed to be healed of his blindness. And, and, and there was those in Numbers 21 who needed to be healed of their snake bite. And there are people today that need healing from such things as cancer and heart disease and, and, and the like. And I believe that God will help us get well. But we're talking about spiritual healing, healing from sin, healing from sin. And Isaiah chapter 4, beginning in verse, uh, Isaiah chapter 1, rather, in verse 4, he said, A sinful nation of people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers, children that are corruptors. You've gone away backward. You've provoked the Holy One of Israel to anger. God can get angry over sin. And don't you suppose God gets angry about sin today? Sin in our world? You've provoked God to anger. You've gone away backward. Why will you be stricken anymore? He'd ask him, why do you want to be like this any longer? But then the next thing he said, but you revolt more and more. Have you ever noticed the more you try to get some people to do, do right, the more they're inclined to do wrong? And he said, your whole head is sick. You're, you're sick. From the top of your head to the soles of your feet, there's no, you're filled with bruises and, and putrefying sores and not been bound up, neither mollified with ointment. When God looked at Israel in those days, He saw them eaten up with the rot and the stench of sin. They were one great big moral ulcer. And, and, and it was their sin. And when God looks at our world today, our sinful world, God sees our sin that is a stench in the nostrils of God. Man needs healing. And man is sick today with a disease that's called sin that will damn your soul for all eternity. And it's worse than any disease man has ever known, any physical disease man has ever known. 
It's worse than cancer. It's worse than heart disease. It's worse than anything you've ever heard of or ever even thought of. And sin destroys into everyone and everything in its path. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. That's separation from God. Solomon said, the way of the transgressor is hard. The, the hard, the path of sin is the hard way. It's not an easy way, that's a hard way. The world needs healing. And the whole world today is infested with this. The whole world's infested with sin. Listen to Romans 3 verse 10. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Listen to Romans 3 23. For all have sinned. Come short of the glory of God. There's none that does good. No, not one. All are sinners. Somebody says, well, I'm not, Brother Lambert. I don't consider myself a sinner. The Bible says if we say we have no sin, if a man says that, well, he's deceived himself. You're just deceived. You're self-deceived. Because we're all sinners. And we're all in need of the healing of our souls' diseases. Folks, there's just one physician. Jesus said, They that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus is the great physician of our souls. And in His blood is the cure for the sins of the whole world. In whom we have redemption through His blood. Forgiveness of sin, Colossians 1.14. Forgiveness through His blood. Don't you want to be forgiven? Nothing but the blood of Jesus can save us. Apart from the shedding of blood, there is no remission. Hebrews 9, verse 22. Sin can be healed. And it's the blood of Jesus that can heal us from the guilt of sin. Paul wrote in Romans 4, and verse 8, Blessed is the man to whom the, the, the Lord will not impute sin. That means to hold it against him any longer. And if the Lord is not holding it against you any longer, why would you feel guilty about it? So the blood of Jesus can heal us from the penalty of sin. It can heal us from the slavery of sin. And if the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. By stripes, folks. We're healed. There's only one way. Would you not come to Christ today by believing on Him? By repenting of all of the sin that's in your life. Be willing to acknowledge that you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God. And let some servant of God baptize you into Christ for the remission of your sins. Hours late. Jesus is coming back someday. We need to be ready. I want to, in closing moments, invite you to visit the Church of Christ in your community. And also, right now, without delay, pick up the telephone. Call for the free Bible course, or if you prefer, you may take it online. Whatever you do, avail yourself of this opportunity. I want to thank you for watching today, and until we meet again, may the Lord bless you and keep you, is my prayer. We want to help you as much as possible in your search for a personal relationship with God. You can now easily access our free Bible correspondence course online at gettingtoknowyourbible.com. If there's any way we can help you grow closer to God, please email us at knowyourbible at golftel.com or call us anytime at 1-877-711-5214.
Getting to Know Your Bible has been presented by Churches of Christ. If you have a question about the church, or if you would like the location of a Church of Christ near you, or to receive the free Bible course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, P.O. Box 314, Summerdale, Alabama 36580, or call 1-877-711-5214. Join us next time for Getting to Know Your Bible.